0: time when the good guys always won and the bad guys were really bad and sometimes the bad guys weren't even guys i must
1: be dreaming if you're looking for the days when we had it made i'm beginning to like you mr bond
0: look no further because sean connery is as good as gold isn't it customary to grant a condemned man his last request i think you've made your point goldfinger next Welcome to the fourth episode of Pod Stallions, the official podcast of plaidstallions.com. As always, I'm Brian, and with me is Jason. Hey, everybody. And today we're going to discuss something a little interesting for kids of the 70s. We're going to talk about spies, namely yeah. James Bond, the Avengers, that sort of thing. And it's a bit unusual, because really the heyday of spies happened before Jason and I were even born. And That's right. It was yeah. kind of old hat, but we both kind of have a love for it, mainly thanks to reruns for me, but um, we're going to get into Jason's love of it which outpowers mine. Uh, <laughs> you, I would say you are you are an uber fan.
2: Yeah, and I, you know, we talked about this a few times on the show about our collections. You know, you 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 sort of have been this collector that that um, is more sort of brands and properties, but it, it, it kind of is all over the place. A specific periods, specific properties, you know, uh, companies, things like that. I, I kind of kept my collecting to, you know, I, 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 I wavered here and there, and I got things outside of this, these wheelhouses, but mainly by the late 80s, it was Bond and Indiana Jones, and I had these two collections that I was constantly picking things up you know, simultaneously, mm-hmm. um, and so there was a there was yeah there was definitely a period, in the early 90s where I had a uh, probably one of the biggest Indiana Jones collections in the in the country. I and mean, I, I can't think of much I didn't have, and, and things that we were discovering through the toy shop and things like that. And Bond, you know, I had um, mainly 60s and you know 60s and early 70s stuff.
0: Yeah, because there really wasn't a lot of like I wasn't tripping over James Bond merchandise when I was a kid. No, and that, I
2: guess that's a great way to kick it off. Where um, you know the Bond phenomenon, James Bond and those films pretty much kicked off the spy phenomenon in the in the '60s. And this is a nice sort of uh, parallel to the episode we did on Doctor Who. Um, it's it's kind of beautifully ironic that the Bond films, you know, the character. Just to give people a quick background, I want to say 1954 fifty. 253, I believe, was Casino Royale, the first James Bond book that Ian Fleming wrote. Um, there was a, a sordid kind of history with that title and trying to get things done with it. Eventually, a, an hour-long uh, television performance was commissioned, uh, a television series called Climax. And each, each episode was a different uh, story, an adaptation of a book.
0: Like a Playhouse 90 kind of thing.
2: Exactly. Yeah. And oh, that that
0: uh, doesn't help anybody. Sorry. Right.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> Bring on the fatty Arbuck joke. Yeah, I know. That's a 50-year-old uh, show reference. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so, so Casino Royale was done in, I want to say, 58 or 59. Um, it was adapted as an hour-long special as part of this series for television and uh Bond became American. he was played by a guy called Barry Nelson. He became Jimmy Bond. He worked for the c i a and Lacheef, the villain who eventually was played by Mads Mickelson. actually that's not even how you pronounce his name um it's like mass or something um but uh that was, he was played by Peter Lorre in this no. in this. Oh, that's cool. Uh, and it's actually not that bad, you know. It's it's very dated when you look at it now. The best way to see it years ago it was out on VHS. Um, not a bootleg. It was kind of an official thing, but it was kind of hinky how it got released. Now I believe it is on the latest DVD of Casino Royale, the '67 uh, comedy film, which is a whole other thing we can we'll get into in a minute how that happened. So obviously the rights for Casino Royale were very, very weird and tied up, where officially the Bond producers couldn't do anything until the Daniel Craig debut. So this thing is on television, it does nothing, nobody cares, um, disappears. And then uh it's it's a it's kind of a long story how these two producers, Cubby Broccoli and Harry Saltzman, Al- Albert Broccoli and Harry Saltzman, got the rights to make features. And um This has been talked about many times, not to put too fine a point and sound like I'm just regurgitating what others have said much smarter than me. You know, uh, I think it's beautiful that we're celebrating these two anniversaries, Doctor Who uh, 50 years this year, Bond was 50 years last year, The Features. It's the most successful film franchise in history. And yes, we can probably put on paper the numbers that – the Star Wars films have done and so on. But when I say successful, I mean the money that these films have generated, 50 years strong, all the different actors that have, have played him and so on. So the parallel with Doctor Who, which just, I'll just touch on for a second, uh, both British characters, both inherently uh, very British sort of institutions, mm-hmm. and yet you couldn't find two characters further apart in the spectrum. Uh, with their, their ethos and their vibe and their their look and everything. Completely different characters. But um, both very groundbreaking. The Bond stuff, and this is the bit that I'll, I'll get to that people have talked about before, very much like um, Ray Harryhausen. We were just talking about Harryhausen in, in Geek Hair Inherit, the other uh, podcast that I co-host, yeah. who passed away uh, this week at 92, 93. Yeah. Uh, you know... All the tributes have been coming out about him, and everybody from Lucas to Peter Jackson to you name it are coming out and you know screaming about uh, Harryhausen and, and his works and what he did. And you know, you you it's it's hard to overstate just what he did and how many doors it opened for so many people in so many parts of the industry um, with his special effects work. How many people it influenced? You know, Lucas made a statement along the lines of. We may not have even had Star Wars if it weren't for someone like Ray Harryhausen and showing us that we could these things were possible. You know, putting elements together on on screen. Uh, because the franchise is so old, and a lot of people, <clears throat> I meet people all the time that have never seen a Connery Bond. They love the Daniel Craig stuff. They've never seen a Roger Moore, or whatever. Prior to 1962, the format for these films, what they did with Doctor No producing that film, the format of it, the action involved with it, the the seriousness, the sexiness, the music, all of that combined, there really had never been anything like it before, before Dr. No. It really set the blueprint for what an action film was going to be. And in many ways, we wouldn't have had Indiana Jones. We wouldn't have had a lot of what Spielberg has done. We wouldn't have had a lot of what action films look like today had it not been for broccoli and saltzman uh bringing this character to to life in in movies and also because the movies were so big i'm sorry i'm going on here but sorry. from dr no it went from dr no to from russia with love and then to goldfinger by the time you got to goldfinger and i'm very much paraphrasing you people can look up these facts i believe the budget for dr no was a million dollars it was a
0: cheap film wasn't it Fairly, fairly cheap for the time. And they were—they and were, they offered the role f- before Connery to to Steve Reeves, didn't they? I don't. I, don't I, I heard that. I read that. I'm a huge fan of the Hercules movies, and I think one of the things they they had offered Steve Reeves, but they didn't want to pay him that much, and he just went back to Italy and made more crap. Um, <laughs> eh.
2: I don't remember. I don't know if I've, if I've heard that. I can tell you that Ian Fleming was very prickly about. The, the lead, you know, who was going to play Bond. The creator was very prickly about it. He did not like Connery, did not approve of that casting choice. Really? Connery, yeah. And Connery was a, a relative unknown. Uh, he had definitely done stuff, but he was not a household name. He was, you know, they, they, they wanted an unknown. Names that had sort of been thrown around were Cary Grant, uh, David Niven, actually, at one point. Um, and... What's interesting is in the books, uh, Fleming describes – one of the characteristics uh, that he uh, gives to to Bond is he kind of looks like Hoagy Carmichael, the songwriter and piano player. And Hoagy Carmichael, if anybody knows what he looks like, is is sort of a nondescript kind of
0: face, kind of – Handsome, but not even ruggedly handsome. And well, well, the only way I know Hoagie Carmichael is from the Flintstones. I think he was on the Flintstones once. I believe he he actually wrote a song that ended up in in that
2: episode of the Flintstones. That's okay. right. Yeah. Um, so so Connery comes along, and he's you know the way Broccoli described seeing him. I think from a window, they looked down on the lot they were on and watched him come into the building. And Broccoli described him like gliding like a panther. Connery had this way about him that just there was something and he was very forceful in this meeting and they took to him and he was rugged and handsome. But also, you know, they thought he would look good in a tuxedo and and prim and proper. Um, I think Fleming pictured someone a little more smooth, a little smoother, a little um, a little more adult, maybe. But he did not like Connery once he saw the film. He kind of fell in love with Connery and ironically in the next Bond book that he wrote – I forget the next one that he wrote after Dr. No – he went into Bond's background and suddenly traced Scottish heritage in Bond's makeup because of Connery being cast in the the role. So anyway, so by the time you get to Goldfinger, the third film, I believe the budget was about $3 million. Now picture this. A movie like Iron Man 3 comes out today –
1: Hmm?
2: What is that in like 2,500 theaters in the U.S. alone? Something yeah. along those lines. Tickets are average ten, twelve bucks. Back you know in '64 when a movie like Goldfinger you know came out, it did not even hit every state when it's released. I mean, it it might have been in 25 theaters around the country, and if you lived in Los Angeles, for example, you were in luck because it would play in Los Angeles. But if you lived in Pasadena or if you lived in, um, I don't know, you know, Tarzana or something, you had to make the trek to Los Angeles to, to come and see this thing, which was a practice that they, you know, the studios were doing even as far up as Jaws. They were doing it that way. So it comes out and I believe, if I'm getting this right, it made its budget back in
0: like 10 or 12 days. And and it, if it, you made, think, it made fifty-one million dollars. <throat> Lifetime gross. Of Which, a gold finger? Which is crazy, yeah.
2: Okay, there you go. Now you do the do the math, you know, go back in time and figure out what we're talking about here. It's really extraordinary just how much movies how much money these movies made. And I always say this to people when they when I'm I'm preaching about Bond, the sixties really was the Beatles in music and bond in at the pictures doesn't mean there wasn't more stuff obviously but the Beatles were everything they did turned to gold I mean every single you know was going to number one and everything I mean they just the next you know group down as big as the next group would have been were such a distant second that the Beatles were just they were God and Connery and the bond character were as big as you could possibly get at the movies so merchandise wise 65, 64, and 66, just like with Doctor Who, was this massive influx of merchandise.
0: And, and and a ton of other spies. And right. By the time you got
2: to Goldfinger Thunderball, which was the fourth feature, the spy craze really started to hit. They even and, put
0: Connery's brother in a film. You ever <laughs> seen that? Yeah,
2: Operation <laughs> Kid Brother? Kid Brother with Neil Connery. Yeah. You even had you had spies on television. You had I Spy with Robert Culp and Cosby, and you had The Man from U.N.C.L.E., which was hugely popular. And ironically, uh, something that Fleming was involved with. He named Napoleon Solo.
0: Yeah, and they put they because most televisions were in black and white, and I love these, so I, I collect these. Um, they released color movies to the movie theaters. That's right in the i think they did 8 <laughs> i think about 5 of them hit the us and then the rest were all popular in like the uk and 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 europe and they're just they're just hour and a half episodes of the show
2: put together i think it was one of them called one spy too many One
0: spy too many the spy with my face the karate killers and and i know the reason i got into them is because um one of them and i think it's the alexander the greater affair um put into a movie they added sexy bikini Scenes with Yvonne Craig, nice. So that's why I checked it out back <clears throat> in the '90s, and I've grown hooked on them. Warner Archive released those; they're amazing. Oh yeah, the 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 burn to order thing. Yeah, yeah.
2: Oh, I should I should pick some of those up. I, I so, have
0: that I have that set just to, to interrupt for a second, and it's yep. it's my wife goes away thing. There's a lot my wife puts oh. up with, but sixty spy movies is not one of them. All right, and so let's. This is a good. Time for you to come in uh, now that I've sort of <coughs> given the
2: dissertation on. Oh yeah, no worries. Um, and in case anybody out there doesn't know
0: the story of James Bond, <laughs> yeah, just well, you, you know what it just shows your you know, passion for the subject matter, so. Well,
2: I mean, you know, they're, 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 but there could be there are people listening that maybe have never seen a Bond film, so just he, you know, he is he is what is called a double O agent. He works for the Secret Service in in the UK. He has a double O. Uh, agent which means he has a license to kill or be killed um, he goes on assignments he uh, drinks too much he smokes too much he is a killer he doesn't always love what he does because it's a dirty job and 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 fleming in those early books and the early films they tried to get across that this is not it's it's sexy and it's it's there's espionage and mystery and International travel and so on, <clears throat> um, but it's a dirty job that, that Bond has to do. He's good with his fists. He's good with his wits. By the time you get to Goldfinger and Thunderball, the gadgets start to come in. The cars do special things and so on. Something else that's really interesting about these these pictures, and then we'll go on to how it influenced the, the spy craze. Because what you just said is interesting. Because if I'm unless I'm mistaken, you don't own any Bond films on DVD. But you have these man from uncle ones because there there are – so there are areas of the spy – you, you dig Bond, but there are other aspects in that spy craze that you that you dig more.
1: Yeah. The other
2: thing that's very interesting about these films and one of the things that was so appealing about it, I believe – it's a theory, but I mean people have really talked about it quite a bit over the years. You know, for a lot of people, going to see these movies and seeing these exotic – locales that, that Bond would travel to and these amazing locations that they would find for some of these these films, a lot of the audience was never going to get to go to these places. And so, you know, we're talking mid-60s here and it's, you know, you had three networks in America and I don't know how many films came out a year to see a film, you know, like like a Bond film that showed you, you know, Japan you know, uh, that amazing volcano in Japan or just the cities or whatever, uh, you know, your, your average moviegoer was never going to get to Japan, or this may be the only footage they've seen of such a place. And, and it really was, I mean, we look at a lot of this stuff now and it's, it can be very dated, but, um, you know, to see bonds, uh, even in spy who loved me to walking amongst the pyramids, that's, that's a, that's not CG. That's a big location. To take this thing and 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 put them there. So you know, the, the the Bond films were, were appealing for uh, many many reasons, but the main reasons: action, uh, sexy women, a sexy leading man, you know, for the women or the, you know, for the fellas that like that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, great music. By the by the time we get to From Russia with Love, they've cottoned on to let's do a theme tune and have a popular recording artist of the day do that theme tune. I mean. So much of this set the blueprint for many 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 action films to come and how they 're made, but um, anyway, anytime something is huge uh, and hugely popular like like a star wars you 're going to get imitators so by the time we get to Thunderball, the world is rife with uh, with imitators, and you that 's where you come in because you're real keen on a uh, few in particular. We've already mentioned uncle, but you also really dig the Matt Helm movies.
0: Right? I do. I, I was just going to say, I, I, as much as James Bond shows the pyramids and, and you know, it's on location. Every one of the films that I like, boy, Greece looks a lot like Southern California. So does England. You know, um, it's, <laughs> it's, it's just very clearly a picture of Greece and then they're driving <laughs> around Southern California. Um, yeah. I, you know, I didn't, like, we should probably go into how we both discovered or got into this stuff. And for me, um, uh, for me, I grew up not really, uh, my introduction to Bond was long before, or long after I had discovered Spy's shows. I think think the first thing I ever saw was, like, the new Avengers, which is the follow-up to the Avengers series. That was partially filmed in Toronto. That's right. And they're really cheesy. But there was a lot of science fiction in them, so I kind of liked them. Um, so I think when I was five or six, I began to, you know, you, you kind of, your role play. And I created a spy character and my code name was Scarlet Red Rose. I remember that. And it, can, <laughs> yeah, well, there was a popular tea called Red Rose at the time. That's um, great. and I, I took my sister's caramel leather jacket cause I thought that was the coolest thing I, I knew. <laughs> and I shoved a Western Derringer down my pants and I went outside and I was going to be a spy. And what stopped me was basically I stood there going, well, what, what, what do I do now? I, I, had, <laughs> I had absolutely no concept. That's so great. You're like the kid who threatens to run away <laughs> and gets out to the
2: curb and goes, okay, where do I go now? Except you wanted a, a life of spying.
0: Yeah, if, if I could film a scene, it would really be you know a kid dressing up, looking cool, and they're playing you know, loud music. And then he goes outside and goes, huh. And I think I just sat in a tree for a while. Because that's, I really didn't have a, you know, I hadn't seen a Bond film. I'd seen a couple episodes of the New Avengers, mm-hmm. but I didn't quite get it. And listen, as any good spy will tell you,
1: mm-hmm.
2: every mission starts with sitting up in a tree. Yes, yes. So you're 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 on your way. Had you given it like another twenty minutes, who knows? We may not have been having this conversation right now.
0: But you know, we were going to talk about merchandise, and that's how I got into Bond. Was, well, which which part? Well. Um, toy bond merchandise when i was a kid
2: well, I, let's go hold, hold, i'm was,
0: sorry let me, let me let me jump back in
2: here real yeah quick. so let's 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 go let's go sideways just a bit here and sure. talk about because you because you hit the avengers and, and we're going to jump all over the place here because yeah. the timeline is weird the avengers was a british television series that actually before we even got to um honor blackman being in it before uh diana rig her character um it was it was uh, Patrick Mcnee and another fella, uh, not Ian Bannon. Ian, oh, I forgot about that. I forget what his name is, but they, he, they, they were. They, it was an offshoot of another series, but they were just called the Avengers, and it was before we even got to Honor Blackman, and it was pre Bond. I mean, it really was right on the cusp of of Bond starting to break. Honor Blackman becomes the first female uh, character in it with. Patrick Mcnee, she ends up being Pussy Galore in um, Goldfinger, right? Goldfinger, which was a huge thing because The Avengers was a big series on British television, but it also was starting to break internationally, especially when Diana Rigg came into it. So for UK audiences to get Honor Blackman in a Bond film was a great, you know, cross-pollinization or whatever you want to call it. Diana Rigg, of course, be, you know, shot it into the stratosphere um, as, as a series <laughs> And it really went international. She ended up becoming a Bond girl as well. And just for the politically correct folks out there, Bond girl is just a, a term that's been used for 100 years now about the women uh, that have been in the Bond pictures. It's not a – I mean a lot of Bond is sexist, no doubt, but I don't mean it in a sexist way. They're Bond women, but they always have called them, you know, James Bond girls. Yeah. So, so you got Avengers on television. You got Man from U.N.C.L.E. You've
0: got Matt Helm, who is played by Dean Martin,
2: and those were books. Am I right?
0: Those are books, and you know, I got really, I was really into Matt Helm movies. I love them. They're campy. They're stupid. Um, they really played a Martin's persona, and I mean, I named my son Dean because I'm, I'm such a huge Matt Helm fan. Oh, um, I, didn't, I didn't know that.
1: Yeah. Now,
2: interesting because. Now you, you, we're getting into comedy here because, uh, you know, Man from Uncle could be a little tongue in cheek. Before I believe before Matt Helm
0: was Derek Flint was I man. think they came around the same time. I love I love Flint too, James so Flint, Coburn.
2: That used to be my uh, I had an email account many many years ago. It was J H L Flint because of the our man Flint. Um, people talk about Austin Powers all the time, riffing on. On Bond, I think it riffs on Flint and Matt Helm more than anything.
0: It steals. I mean, um, I use this as my ringtone. It's uh, you know uh, Austin's phone is Flint's phone. Is Flint's phone exactly?
2: (laughs) So Flint comes along and Flint really sent up the whole Bond persona. Where this was a spoof. It was it was essentially a spoof, and Bond was the guy that knew a little bit about everything because he's so smart. He knows wines. He knows diamonds. He knows you know history. You name it. Flint, you know, put, put him to shame. I mean, Flint knows everything. <laughs> um, so then suddenly you go down this road of – it was interesting because you, you started to get this really uh, – everything. The, the imitators were there and everybody was kind of riffing on Bond because Bond was the, was the king. But they were doing it in different ways. Another one that's one of my favorite characters and, and certainly Michael Caine vehicles – is the ipcris file uh... and the character of harry palmer that michael Caine played in three different pictures and ironically the the film the Ipchus, all of those films were produced by harry saltzman not broccoli and michael Caine, the, the character in the, in the first book in the interest File, the book if i'm not mistaken doesn't even have a name it's a first-person sort of thing um, and 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 uh, Michael Caine helped come up with the name of Harry Palmer. They they and Saltzman actually sat with him and said, "Think of a first name. Ironically, think of a first name. <laughs> it's got to be ordinary. We, we this guy is going to be the antithesis of Bond." And Michael Caine said, "Well, the you know the most boring name I can think of is Harry. Forgetting that the guy he's sitting with is called Harry Saltzman." <laughs> And Harry Palmer was born. And, and whereas Bond was, you know, slick and smooth and suave and sophisticated and, you know, tall and, you know, could beat people up, Harry Palmer, played by Michael Caine, you know, wore glasses, sometimes carried a gun, you know, knew how to make a souffle, didn't always get the girl, and lived in a kind of a, a tatty apartment. And it was a, a very different sort of spy film. I don't know if you've ever seen file but it's a brilliant movie.
0: Not in years. Uh,
2: and John Barry did the music and everything. Um, so you've got this, you know. Now you're even getting things like the spy who came in from the cold, you know, the with uh, Burton. You get ultra serious stuff. You've got the ordinary stuff like Palmer. You've got the comedy stuff, uh, the spoofs like Helm and um, and Flint, and then the TV stuff. Now. We'll get to merchandise in just one sec, but go back to Helm, if you would.
0: Mm-hmm. What, what
2: about the Mad Helm stuff and 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 Dean? Do you find so appealing?
0: I just think it's wonderfully madcap, and I, I love I love kind of schlock.
1: Uh huh.
0: And um, there's just something about these. These were my mom defined them as these were the Naked Gun movies when we were young. You know. Uh, oh, that's did, a good. That's a good way of putting it, yeah. Because I was watching one once, and my mom said, okay, Matt's going to jump over uh, a hedge here, and you can see that the grass has a trampoline in it, you know, <laughs> or a mattress in it. And she just started laughing when it happened. And she goes, these were crap. We loved these. And, uh-huh. um, you know, they were just, they're just kind of fun and madcap. And, and I, you know, I watched them in the 70s. I watched them in the 80s. I watched them in the 90s. And then I think in the 90s, I got, you know, I went on a trip to Europe, and I picked up, a couple of Matt Helm books. I thought these will be fun, mm. and they're they're written, I believe, by a guy by the name of Donald Hamilton, uh, who who was just with us up until a couple of years ago.
2: Yeah, that sounds familiar.
0: Yeah, and they are the most dry. Like there is, they just base whoever bought the Matt Helm movie rights never read a thing because. You know, Matt Helm. The only thing that's the same is Matt Helm is a spy. His code name is Eric. Uh, he does not work for something called ICE. Uh, Wait, you know, I'm
1: sorry.
2: Did you say his code name is Eric?
0: Yeah. <laughs> and um, well, I believe Donald Hamilton is uh, is Norwegian. And oh, okay. He okay. is a World War Two vet, former spy. Um, a, a dry as nails assassin who has no time for women, has no time for drink. I mean, yeah. you you read these and go, who thought this was a good vehicle for Dean Martin? <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, <clears throat> but they just really, I think they just wanted to put some. You know, they, they, they whoever the producers were, they bought these books. They're 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 very straight. I won't call them boring because they're mm-hmm. very popular books, and, and they, they you know they're compelling. Pot boilers, as the Fleming books probably are, but there was probably nothing in the 1960s that, you know, someone said well, we could make these films, but they're, where, where's the catch? And then they, mm-hmm. they attached Dean Martin to it and just made it a vehicle for Dean's persona, so you know, there's shootouts in breweries and, you know, Dean's got gadgets just like Bond in the fact that he's got a gun that shoots backwards, or Cigarettes that, was, that shoot people, you know. I was just gonna ask,
2: what was the? There was some gimmick with the gun, and it was the gun that, because Flint had this thing that was this one, div- you know, they, it was they, his again, pen or his lighter. His lighter could, it, could do a million things. That's right. They were riffing on, they were riffing on the Bond thing with the gadgets. And there's a scene in I think the first Flint film where it's like, you know, go down to Q Branch or whatever the equivalent was. They're gonna get you all kitted out with these gadgets. And Flint comes back with, you know, oh, I don't need to, sir, I've got this. And he pulls out this lighter, and it's like, you know, it does 725 different things. And that's his one gadget throughout the the film. It's like a phone and a and a stethoscope and shoots missiles and whatever.
0: A and great... then Matt Helm had the backwards gun. He had, no, he had the gun, one gun that he fired, and he had to wait five seconds. So most of the villains would then point it to their face. Oh you know, and yeah! And shoot themselves. You know, he he would he would click at a guy and go one, two, three, four, five, and then you know, just really ridiculous stuff. And, and, yeah. And, and he, you know, of course he had a full bar in his car, and it was it was you know they were they were playing to Buns or to to just Dean Martin's persona, and there was yeah. of course always a Frank Sinatra gag in there. Um, Dean Martin Jr. made an appearance in one of the films. You know, as he walks into a Matt Helm walks into a club in France, which looks a lot like Southern California, and <laughs> and this kid playing guitar goes, "Hey, Dad!" You know. Oh no, kidding. And and you know, of course, I think the first Matt Helm movie, the villain is Victor Bueno or Victor Bono. I don't know how to say oh, that. Oh. And well, he's um, from yeah. but from Batman, and, and yeah, he was yeah. King Tut. He was Chinese in this though.
2: Oh, God.
0: Yeah, and it is just full-on, you know, the most racist. Well, makeup. Uh, you know, Dr. No,
2: Joseph Wiseman, yeah. a very distinguished uh, British actor, one of the greatest voices in movies ever, um, he, he was basically playing a, an Asian uh, character. Another uh, couple of films that no one ever really talks about much, kind of hard to come by. Certainly, I'm not sure they got a DVD release in the U.S., um, the character Bulldog Drummond, they brought oh, wow. him back in the in the late 60s, and he was played by uh, a British actor called Richard Johnson. And there are two, I believe, two features. The first, I forget the second one, but the first one was called Deadlier Than the Male. And it was a, uh, you know, very Bond-esque, not quite in the Helm and Flint realm of humor, uh, but definitely worth seeking out if no one has ever seen these. It's... it's um, uh, there's some good stuff, and it's kind of it's grittier than than you you would think. Um, so okay, so we're not around for the heyday of the merchandise. We talked about Doctor Who a few episodes ago, where you couldn't spit in the UK and not hit a Dalek toy of some kind. For Bond in the in '65, that was you know what '78 was for Kenner. In '65, you had Lone Star, which was the I believe my might be still around. It might be called Wick now in Germany. But Lone Star was a cap gun company mainly. They did other toys, but they mainly made cap guns and holsters and, and spy sets and things like that. We've talked about them before. They had loads of licenses in the 60s. Uh, I've got catalogs, which I still need to get copied and send to you.
1: Uh-huh.
2: And the 66 catalog alone, they've got Captain Scarlet. I'm sorry, Thunderbirds. 67, uh, they get Captain Scarlet. They've got Thunderbirds, Doctor Who, The Avengers, uh, James Bond, Man from Uncle, The Saint. Oh, The Saint as well.
0: Yeah, TV right. Studios, but he's, he's more uh, of a played, thief, right?
2: He's a thief, but he kind of goes into that that realm of spying and that whole '60s era, and of course, played by Roger Moore, who is a you know cool. that show was massive internationally before he ever got the Bond part. Um, was was huge. So so Lone Star had a bunch of stuff for Bond. The other big company, two big companies were Gilbert in the U S that did a 12 inch doll of Connery in different outfits, accessory sets, different outfits, a 12 inch figure of odd job, job. Uh, figure sets. And by figures, I mean, non posable army men style, you know, painted figures of all the characters from the Bond films, little play sets that those characters could kind of go with. Um, lots of stuff that Gilbert did, and then of course Corgi, which
1: uh-huh.
2: had a to this day, you know, has had a, fi- a close to fifty year relationship with the Bond pictures. They did the first Aston Martin diecast, which sold by the truckload. They sold millions of that little Aston Martin car, which originally was painted gold. The first issue of that that came out in 64, 65. Uh, as everyone knows, the Aston Martin, the most famous car in the world, is silver, the DB5. The first issue of the Corgi that came out was gold. Really? Because <laughs> – and I, I forget the gist of this, but it had something to do with that initial the testing that they did. It, 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 it ended up looking dull or something was off. I've got a Corgi book. I should look it up while we're talking to tell you what the reason was. Um, but that that started a, a a long, long relationship with Corgi and people you know looking forward to a new corgi car diecast car vehicle or something if, with every bond uh, picture that came out so we 're forty five minutes into this and we 're just getting to merchandise we 're not even born yet now we 're into the 70s and what is your let 's get to what your introduction to bond would have been are you not saying that you got to spy movies before you got to Bond,
0: are you? Yeah, I, I definitely saw. Oh. I, I saw. Um, How do
1: you reckon that one?
0: I saw New Avengers and I guess a man called Flintstone before I saw Bond. I never, I, you know, just never noticed Bond because I was, you know, very young. The wow. I, I was I was cognitive of the character, but unlike you, you had older brothers who could kind of push you into things that you didn't know about. I had a sister five years older than me. So if I wanted to watch National Velvet, there I go. Or you know, th- th- she was just not into that kind of thing. What got me into Bond, believe it or not, was that Aston Martin car. And I'll just back it up no just a little bit. I saw the uh, the Spy Who Loved Me had the sub car. That's right. They had the Lotus Esprit. That's right. Yeah, the car that turned into the sub. I saw that at a store, and I. I fell in love with it. I just thought it was the coolest thing I'd ever seen. Oh, wow. So on my mom's side, her parents would ask us. We'd get, like, basically one present. They had, like, my sister, my, my mom had, like, three brothers and sisters, So and they each had kids. So we were kind of less special to those grandparents. You know what I mean? Like, okay. there's a brood of you. Okay. So, you know, my, my, you know, my grandmother must have asked my mom, what does Brian want? My mom asked me, and I said, I want the James Bond car. <laughs> and i i can remember this to this day i opened up that aston martin on christmas day oh wow and i didn't know what it was right because i wanted the other you car wanted the lotus. i wanted the lotus i didn't realize there was more than one james bond car
1: oh okay. and i
0: could i can honestly remember also being you know, seven and completely diplomatic about the situation. Like, oh, thank you. It's exactly what I wanted. But, you know, in in my head, I was like, what the hell is
1: this? (laughs) So,
0: and I, I was so confused that I played with it. You know, you eject the guy. Yep. I thought that was James Bond being, like, shot out to get to the top of a building or something. Like, I had no concept of this toy. And... That's interesting. I think I read an article in Starlog like a year later about Goldfinger and how he had a laser ray. And the science fiction of that made me watch the film. Okay. Maybe I was eight or nine at the time. And then what turned out was the, the, my father, one of his passions would be you know, spy movies, mm-hmm. kung fu movies, and oddly Cheech and Chong movies. Um, oh, that's weird. Because my dad was super square too. I don't know. He just dug those, um, and he took me to those, which is another story for another time. Uh, yeah. But the um, he would watch the Bond weeks. You know, UHF channels would mm-hmm. play like all the Bond films, and they'd be mm-hmm. kind of tomatoy. And, and well, they, there was a channel here called City TV, and they would they uh, they coinc, coincidentally when I got into Goldfinger, they played all the Bond films. And it just it got me into them. I really loved the Connery stuff f- because of the science fiction flavor of it. And then to, yeah,
1: that's that.
2: I can see that. Yeah.
0: And then to catch Moors, you had to watch like what you, we were talking about before we started recording. Like they, the Moors were more recent, so you had to watch the ABC Sunday Night Movie to catch those.
2: Okay. Well, there you go. There's now we get to. Where I come in, and yes, you you mentioned that two older brothers, we were definitely a family of of Bond fans. My dad was a huge fan of the the Bond pictures. Um, My brothers as well. My recollection seems to be the ABC Sunday night movie. Yeah. When I think of that, I think of always, I think of Bond. I think of the term uh, parental discretion is advised. Yeah. And I think of the dulcet tones of Ernie Anderson, who was the king of voiceovers. But he was the voice of ABC for twenty odd years, and it was you know tonight the ABC Sunday night movie Moonraker. You know Bajamore is back, and he he'd do this whole thing, and at the very end you'd hear parental discretion is advised. He was and also
0: that, the he was also the king of the love boat on the love boat. Yeah,
2: for me it was like. You know, that was always kind of kind of hinky, you know. Parental discretion is advised. Like, what did that mean? And I knew as a kid, watching them on on television, that it it meant a bit of the violence, but it also it was very sexy. It was very, you
1: know,
2: Bond and Connery, to me as a kid, was a very very adult thing. It's 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 interesting when you look back, and you know, Timothy Dalton, who ended up playing Bond talks about this in the documentary done for the anniversary where he'd have people come up to him and, you know, in his tenure and they'd say, I can't take my six year old to see Bond anymore. And he'd say, well, it's not for your six year old. It was never for your kid, which is ironic in certain of the, the, the massive amount of merchandise that was made in the sixties, you know, aimed directly at, at kids. Um, but, it, but it, it, to me, I would see those things on television and think, this is very adult. Like, there's sex going on here. I didn't even know what that was.
0: He's sexing her.
2: He's sexing her in his sexy way. Yeah. And, you know, Connery was covered in hair. He was then hairy. <laughs> um, so that was probably my introduction. My first bond at the pictures, actually going to the movies, was The Spy Who Loved Me. No way. Yeah. And, I, and my dad took me. And I remember, you know, bits and pieces of it. Of course, by the you know, by the time Moonraker came along, I had a bit of an education going with the the television uh, runs of, of the movies. I also remember on ABC, I mean, my God, they would. I mean, Bond movies on average were, you know, a two and a half hour, two hour and fifteen minute movie each one of them. When they would run it on a Sunday night, I swear. That thing would start airing at seven, and it wouldn't because I'd have school the next morning. And my my parents, would be like, you gotta get to bed.
0: Be like, well, no, it's not even. We're not. I don't care. You gotta
2: get to bed. You gotta gotta get up in the morning.
0: I, I'm pretty sure I never actually finished any of those. Like, cause think, we would we be in my grandparents' house and I'd watch the first hour. And then they seemed
2: to go on for five hours with yeah. the commercials and everything.
0: It did was, they add footage to those? You know how they did with Superman and Star Trek when they played those on TV? Did They, they did. Are there TV cuts of Bond films?
2: I don't think so, okay I mean, they certainly had to edit them
0: i mean uh, but
2: i don't I don't think there I don't think there were, but my God, they were you know the, as as I got more and more into bond as I grew up and did the research and you know read the books and stuff, those ABC runs when they got the rights for those movies they they brought in huge numbers for for the network because again, this is you know the pre v h s age, yeah, and you know if you didn't see it at the movies. You you had to see it on television. So through my brothers, I began to understand who Connery was. Now, quick side note, uh, I think of Bond, I think of ABC. I think of Roger Moore. That he was my Bond in the 70s, of course. The Aquavelva Bond, as I like to refer to him. And uh, we had an album that was called The Incredible World of 007. I didn't know until I got much older that that was actually a, a limited album that came out to tie in with an ABC special huh. called the incredible world of 007 which sort of and it and it ended up being on one of the the DVDs either goldfinger or thunderball i think it was a special done to promote thunderball and it mainly covered the first 3 films uh, but but it was sort of a mini soundtrack and it, it picked up, um, different instrumental things from different films. I played this thing till it wore out. In fact, I still have it. And several years ago, my buddy Ben Harris, uh, burned it cause you can't get it on CD. He burned it to CD for me and it's all scratchy and I have it, you know, it's in, in my, you know, in my iPod now. And it's, you know, the only version of, you know, the the theme is on there and different themes, but this is the only way to have gotten these versions was this particular album. So I played this thing to death and I remember flipping it over. The cover is amazing. It's this amazing, very 60s design of a gold ball kind of floating in this weird trippy art collage or piece. And it just has 007 all over this big gold ball <laughs> floating on the cover. When you flip it over, there's a series of black and white pictures on the back, and it's Connery. And I remember being confused by who this guy was on the back of this record because Roger Moore was James Bond to me, really. And then I started to get the education from my my brothers. And, and Connery was still – I mean Moore was the guy, and Connery was still a, a bit hard for me to take as a kid kind uh-huh.
0: of. Funny, uh, eh? My head was really done in by Lazenby, when yeah, that, that one confused me too, as a kid. When
2: Honor Majesty's Secret Service aired for the first time, I really did not know what to to make of it um or who he was or how this thing this thing happened
0: um so you know one of the things I wanted to point out was yeah. um I find it funny how by the more years. Things were starting to look a little bit like a Matt Helm film on Bond. Like there's a lot of camp introduced by that point.
2: Well, and I think that maybe what sort of freaked me out a bit as a as a kid, and when I say kid, I mean eight, nine, ten years old, discovering the world of Connery because it, it was not campy. I mean, there there was some humor, definitely, and, and a lot of winking, but by the time you got to Roger, Moore, I mean, I remember being nine years old. Seeing Moonraker, laughing hysterically at the antics of Jaws and that Swiss Miss girl with the with pigtails. Uh, oh uh, yeah. I, I you know and I remember I remember distinctly walking to the car afterwards. My dad, my brother Gino, and my brother Jack, and Gino just laughing and going, "Come on, man, what's with the girl and the judge?" Just he was really ripping it apart. Like what happened to these movies? But I loved it because I was, you know, I was a little little kid. There, there, there's
0: a scene in Moonraker where Jaws lunges at James Bond like a Scooby Doo monster, <laughs> like he's got his hands up and he's like lumbering slowly, and it's 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 like I okay I I was I was like 35 watching it, but it was just like
2: what is this? Well, remember, I mean, it got I mean this and this is Roger Moore. Like I don't want to take anything away from Roger Moore. He was a genius. He was he was brilliant for what he did. And he's a very, very gentle soul of a man and did, was not comfortable with a lot of the violence. If you look at his first couple of films, Live and Let Die and Man with the Golden Gun. Oh, quick side note. That's the other thing was the Beatle connection. You know, McCartney and Wings, Paul McCartney and Wings officially did um, the theme to Live and Let Die. Right. So that was a big deal. You know, like that was for a long time. That was my favorite Bond film as a kid because because of that song. I mean, having Wing's greatest hits and a connection with the Beatles just blew my little mind. Um, if you look at his first couple of films, there are a couple of scenes that are written that very much feel like they're Connery scenes, but they're, you know, Roger Moore's, you know, trying to smack a woman around, you know, Maud Adams. And, yeah. And, and it just doesn't quite work. There's a scene in For Your Eyes Only, the, one of the best scenes in the film, because that was the one where they brought it back down to earth so to speak, and, and actually, after Moonraker, where it got too silly, they said, let's come on, let's make a, a straightforward spy adventure, for your eyes only, where he chases the guy up the, up the hill uh, in the car, shoots the car, shoots him, the car is teetering on the brink, and he says a few quips and kicks the car over the cliff and kills the guy. They really had to convince Roger Moore on the day to kick that car. Like, he was completely against it and did not want to do it. So he was the guy that always made the joke, like, how is it every bartender in the world knows what James Bond drinks, what his favorite drink is? He's supposed to be a guy undercover. Everyone knows who he is. So Moore found the humor in it, and because of that, and because it, he was so popular, took the humor very, very far, to the point where by the time he got to his last picture, it was just...
0: You know. and he, he would also take a piss out of himself because he would like the canon. His character in Cannonball Run is just a complete, basically mockery of Roger Moore and James Bond. Yeah, I mean, talk about. I don't know how much more meta you can get
2: with this. Where Roger Moore is playing a guy who thinks he's Roger Moore, <sighs> yeah, yeah. playing James Bond. I mean, it's just ridiculous. So yeah, he he really saw the humor, and he was he's a goofball, and. um... It just got completely you know, you know silly. Um, but let's get back to toys real quick because we're both toy guys and yeah. we like hearing this stuff. So we talked about Doctor Who, where these kids that are into this particular subject matter can't find any toys. Uh, we talked about Star Wars and how at different times because of our exposure, we eventually found certain things and picked them up. I mentioned in the Star Wars episode that there was a store in the Maplewood Mall called Kids – where I got my next two action figures after the early bird kit Han and 3 yep just like you it was a birthday sort of thing I had some birthday money I'm guessing it was seventh or eighth birthday and my brother one of my brothers took me to the Maplewood Mall I went right to kids and I picked up an Aston Martin and the Lotus so I got like two in one in one go cool and the Aston Martin is one of the greatest single toys ever made. I still have I, mine, by the way. I still have mine, and I'm, I, it breaks my heart because I, I could spend a whole episode just talking about the stuff I did collect and how much stuff I did have, and I had the original issue of the Aston Martin, but the best Aston Martin, really, was was the one right before the ones we probably got, uh, 73 or so. The ones The ones we got had the ejector seat, had... The pop-up shield, uh, bulletproof shield, and the guns come out. I think the guns come out. The one just before that one had all that, but it also had revolving license plates. Oh, cool! That you put stickers on, and had so that the both front and back plates revolved, and it also had these red uh, wheel cutter things, right? Wheel cutters that, that pulled out from the center of the tire in the back. And, uh, you know, could do lots of damage. So those those were my first Bond toys. But I also remember being that kid that was looking around for James Bond, you know, action figures and toys.
0: Let and me guess you were disappointed.
2: I mean, right? <laughs> yeah. We had Flash Gordon the movie. We had James Bond. We had Doctor Who. All these things we were into and we loved that we never got toys for. So the first... The first toys I suppose I can remember seeing, well, two twofold. One, I swear, drugstore, you know, Ractoid sort of thing. You know, Bond eventually got the Ractoid treatment in 84, which I'll let you talk about. Oh, yeah, they're wonderful. But I remember getting a squirt gun. You know, there's this great publicity shot uh, of Bond, Connery's Bond, uh, 62, in the tuxedo. It's a very, 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 very famous shot, probably the... Bond shot, certainly the Connery shot, where he is holding this, um, it's a Walther, but it's not a Walther PPK. It's like, it looks like a Luger and it's got a long barrel and he's holding it up next to the side of his face. So he's kind of got his arms folded in front of him and where where his left hand meets his right elbow, uh, he's got it resting on the hand and then the, the gun is sort of up next to his face. That gun... Was made as a squirt gun, not officially, and I swear I had this as a kid, and I got it from the drugstore. And I remember seeing Bond on the packaging or the header card or something.
0: I'm positive that I've seen that in my catalogs, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to scan in every spy gun and put it on the the, the Pods Stallion's Facebook page.
2: Oh, great! Exactly. Uh, but
0: I, I swear to you, it's a rip. It's it's what I've seen that too, and it's basically a generic spy. Who's made to look like Connery? I know I have it somewhere.
2: Well, that so that coupled with the Corgis would have been my first stuff. But then I do recall seeing the Mego twelve-inch figures do on the shelf. I remember seeing Roger Moore. I swear I I I, I never got him as yeah. as a kid. I didn't get him, but I, I I swear I saw him at you know like a children's palace type place. I
0: I remember Moonraker because I got the shuttle that year for Christmas you know the, okay. Moon, the moonraker shuttle and it seemed like all hell broke loose you got trading cards and like it was all of a sudden bond merchandise because i guess it tied into space i don't well, remember star wars. the it was, of, yeah
2: yeah it was definitely the star wars thing and it was in fact um, i could be wrong about this because I, I used to know everything about bond and now i know a lot but i forget things um I think Moonraker was fast-tracked. If you look at Spy Who Loved Me, I think in the end credits it says, you know, it always said in the end credits, James Bond will return. Right. I'd say James Bond will return, or it would say he will return, and then give you the title of the next one. I believe at the end of Spy Who Loved Me, James Bond will return in For Your Eyes Only. Oh. That I believe, I could be wrong about this, but I think that was the next one that was supposed to happen. Star Wars explodes and they fast-track Moonraker, which has nothing to do with the book. Yeah,
0: it, it, the book is about a guy, like a, a scarred World War Two guy. Um, World War Two guy, I'm eight years old. Um, <laughs> a, a villain who's been, like, mutilated. Drax is, I think, of, and he's got a missile. Isn't that, like, what Moonraker's about? It has nothing to do with going into outer space, as I recall.
2: Yes, yes, two by two. The animals went on two by two.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, I, yeah. You know... I just Moonraker was like this merchandise explosion. I know the film was a hit, but you know, you, you all of a sudden you had James Bond model kits, more cars, action figures, um, gum cards. There's something else I'm missing too. I, I can't remember. But it really was a big deal. I never saw it in the theater as a kid. In fact, you're going to kill me. I've never seen a Bond film in the theater. Really? Yeah, it's just one of those things. Um, I can believe. Yeah, it really is. And when I think about it, I'm like, really? I've never gone to see a Bond film, but I just wow, never have. Interesting. Um, the, the, the Moonraker, the Migo stuff, that, the thing that really kills me about that Migo stuff is not the stuff that got out. Because uh-huh. it was very limited. And Mego really wanted to make a big deal out of this. And it wasn't – buyers just didn't think it was going to sell. And we only got three action figures in North America. And that was – James Bond, Holly, which is, you know, a short of Holly Goodhead, because they're not going to let that happen in Toy Shelves, and they'll be in the paper the next day, and Drax. But in the in Italy and the U.K., you got uh, two extra figures. One was James Bond in a really cool version of the spacesuit from the movie. Yeah, with a, with, with
2: a gun, with a laser with gun.
0: With a laser gun and Jaws. Yeah. And Jaws is a really cool and unique contraption in that he's kind of like an incredible Hulk torso with regular arms, and then they put a magnet in his mouth, the same magnet that Batman and Robin had on their hands and feet. That's right. And then I have the – and I'll put this on the Pod Stallions Facebook page. It's from you know the Miga Museum. They were planning much more. They were planning a three-and-three-quarter-inch line. One was a helicopter and a boat and I think a version of the space shuttle that would all come with a three-and-three-quarter bond. Like they, they really had big plans for this line, and unfortunately, there was no buyer support whatsoever. And in a neat bit of trivia, Mego even actually never paid Eon for the license.
2: Oh, that's interesting. I never knew that.
0: Yeah, that that was something that um, I helped a guy out with an article once, providing some information, and he uncovered that Migo stiffed them.
2: <gasps> I never knew that. Yeah, I never ever knew that. That's
0: kind of fascinating. Um,
2: interesting. Okay, so so that's so we could have had something from from Migo. Meantime, we're getting lots of. Uh, you know, odds and ends coming out of out of the UK. We st- we're still getting Lone Star items. Lone Star did a Lone Star would recycle a lot of stuff, and there was very little they did that was, you know, pound for pound exactly as it was in the in the film. One of the exceptions was the Moonraker gun. They they made a Moonraker laser pistol, but it was a cap gun. Uh-huh. But it was came right out of the film. I mean, it was beautifully done. Uh, it's a white. Diecast gun with, you know, Roger Moore on, the, on this box, this packaging. Um, and bits of it, ironically, a year later, were used for the Flash Gordon cap gun for the, the movie, one of the few items made from the, the film, the Flash Gordon film. Um, a great – oh, this breaks my heart. So much stuff that I had that's gone that I'll never get again. One of the, one of the cornerstones of any Bond collection, toy collection – Multiple toy makers in 1965 made the attache case.
0: Right. Is that the one with the knife that came out of it?
2: There's a knife that comes out the side. It really is an amalgam. What a
0: brutal toy for a
2: child. Oh, I mean all this stuff because it's all caps or bullets getting shot out of it. Um, it was a, like a Luger type thing. with a. It was an amalgam of the attache that he used in, in From Russia With Love. The knife comes out the side. There was paper money, a wallet. Business cards. The business cards even read "International Exports" or "Universal Exports." I'm sorry, which is the the you know code name for the for MI6 for the Secret Service. It, the, you know they answered the phone. Universal Exports. I mean, they even had that kind of detail in this thing. Hmm. Um, the gun that then came with a stock and a rifle section on the front, you could make into a little mini rifle. It's it's gorgeous. And you know, if you were to find one of these things boxed and complete, you're looking at you know, thousands of dollars. I have a real soft spot, as I mentioned before, for attache-type cases. I've since uh, found the Moonraker attache that was made from Japan. The interior has nothing to do with Bond, really, and there was never one in Moonraker. Yeah. The outer flap is like a silver cardboard flap with the beautiful poster artwork. That's another thing about Bond. The movie posters, unparalleled. The, yeah. You know, from, from... I'd say you only lived twice, right up to the late '70s and Moonraker. Those movie posters were just spectacular. Some of them were just mind-blowing. Um, I have the Moonraker attache. I have uh, another one from Japan, made by um, Tomy, I think. Wow. With Connery in it and a weird gun that comes. It's very, very. Some really, really neat stuff was made in the world of of attaches. One of the pieces that breaks my heart that I I missed. I miss, I've never seen since, and for 4-Year Eyes Only, a different toy company called Crescent made a Walther diecast cap gun, and it came in this 4-Year Eyes Only box. I've never seen one since the one I got. I also had a promotional, Philips Electronics made a promotional uh, talking or you know, beeping keychain when you whistled, remember those keychains from the 80s? If you whistled, the thing would beep and you'd find your keys. They used that as, a, as a, one of his gadgets in *The Living Daylights*, Dalton's first film. Phillips Electronics made promotional keychains, like gold dust, trying to find these things. And I had one. I, I sold all this stuff. It, it's, it's, it's heartbreaking. So, um, so we've got this is what we're getting for toys. We're getting kind of you know shafted in the in the, in the toy department. Um, and then you know Roger Moore's uh, run is starting to kind of wind down.
0: Yeah, and and the only thing I think that got made in between those periods, it's probably more corgis, and and little things, but uh, View to a Kill, comes out, and this is I think that's Moore's last film, correct? Yes. Yeah, so we've got what happened was you've got Octopussy. <laughs> which, <laughs> oh right, the Octopussy. You got
2: Octopussy comes out in '83. Um, the the two big pieces of merchandise, brilliant pieces. The first one is one of the most beautiful things that Corgi ever made. They kind of at this point slowed down, like the like, like before Octopussy was uh, 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 for your eyes only. The diecast that came out for that film was the yellow Citroen, uh, you know Volkswagen type bug that he drives in one sequence going down the hill with the, the, the Bond girl. No, ga- I mean it's it's gadget. Every Corgi had some kind of, you know, little gadget, like the the Aston Martin had all that stuff. The Lotus had fins that popped out and missiles that shot up the back. This particular one had a hood that opened. Yeah. That was its big gimmick. So they're winding down. For Octopussy, they made a smaller set, which was a, a little car, a little trailer that hitched behind the car, a fake horse's back end in the back of that, and then the little airplane that he flew in the pre-credit sequence of Octopussy and the wings folded up and it it went up inside that little trailer it's a beautiful little little piece it came on a header card rather than a box so it was a very strange departure for for Corgi and you know it was more like a Corgi Jr. when Corgi I'm rambling here but when Corgi would make the Aston Martin the Citroen the um the the Lotus they would make the regular version that we picked up, and there was also a, a junior. They you did it with get
0: the your pocket, pocket money, basically.
2: Exactly, and yeah. then those came on like a more of a bubble card. Um, so now, so eighty three was Octopussy. Eighty five is A View to a Kill. Matchbox now gets the rights. They put out a taxi yeah. and a Rolls Royce. Those are the two big cars for A View to a Kill. But in beautiful packaging though. So at this point, Roger Moore is, God love him. He's not aging as well he's as He's
0: 60 is. at this time. Isn't he he's
2: 59? 112. Yeah, right. right? Yeah. View to a kill. He's um you know he's actually in his early 50s. That's no, the that's the I, thing.
0: Really? I and thought he was
2: 59. I think he was like 53, 54 by the time he did by the time he did um View to a kill. So his eyeliner is so thick in in View to a kill. He he outdoes Tanya Roberts in this thing. Um He's very much showing his age, and it's it's time for things to wind down. And it's ironic, of all the periods in the Bond world, to finally get Rack Toys, <laughs> yeah. official Rack Toys. Uh, they came out in '84 between Octopussy and and View to a Kill. And I'll, I'll I'll let you take it from there.
0: Yeah, they are some of my favorite Rack Toys. I actually remember them because I worked in a variety store that had them, and they just they amused the hell out of me back then. <laughs> um they are by Imperial toy a, a great favorite rack toy company that's still in business to this day they they're, they're they're still thriving um, they are also the most phoned in thoughtless pieces of merchandise I think I've ever seen um, and, and it, that's why I opened my book with them because they're just so bad I mean I think there's a there's, there's a um, Sorry. A pair, there's a parachuting figure, a pair of sunglasses that has a picture, a small picture of Roger Moore's face on the card, so he looks like Elton John. <laughs> right. Uh, right. Because
2: they, Imperial and different companies were were known for making those, you know, superhero type sunglasses. That's why I love those so much, and I, I hope you're going to put those in your will and and give them back to me at some point. But what I love about that is, you know, you'd have. A, the Spider-Man sunglasses. So you had the cardboard of Spider-Man's, a drawing of Spider-Man's head.
0: The Batman ones, Superman ones, and then these Roger Moore ones. Yeah, yeah, and and then they made ID tags. And ID tags. Yeah, yeah, yeah and, and, and just they're
2: so badly done. And talk about phoned in. It was like one of them was like a submachine gun. One of them is a is a .45 automatic that makes noise. Uh, there's a, isn't there a watch as well that that, that um, most
0: definitely. Just, I mean, it's just the, it's the imperial catalog of stock toys, and then yeah. they've just put James Bond. There's a skydiver, and, yes, and, and you know when they re-released that skydiver for the Delta Force movies, they put it in camo. For this, it is just Roger Moore, or it's just a skydiver.
2: Well, what's cool, the one kind of cool thing, if I'm not mistaken. The parachute. the parachute is the Union Jack, yeah, which is a sort of semi tie-in to the pre-credit sequence for Spy Who Loved Me. So now we're getting to a, we're already going long here as usual, but um, That's all right. so so I'm I'm Love and Bond uh, as a kid, and I'm I'm seeing every picture that comes out. I'm getting every Marvel Super Special that comes out. Uh, I'm, yes. I'm picking up every Starlog. Poster magazine and tie-in, I'm picking up whatever merchandise I can, because there, there isn't a lot, let's be honest, you know and, and whatever isn't out there, I'm you know using other things to be my my spy guns and stuff. I remember distinctly uh, my dad used to get the Sharper Image catalog. This is before I think before they even hit stores, like before the stores started popping up in every shopping mall ever there was the sharper image catalog and in 1985 this catalog showed up and he I remember him bringing it home to me and said here you'll like this and on the cover was was a you know artwork of Roger Moore off of the view to a kill movie poster and the whole catalog you know was sort of devoted to bond and there were tie-ins and stuff and there's, there's a there's a, a shot in the movie where he's jimmying a window breaking into a house or something and he uses like a sharper image credit card or something so the logo is you know prominent i remember it because it had lots of pictures from the film and um i was very excited on you know a new bond film the the duran duran song was getting a lot of airplay and let's face it whatever you think of duran duran it's a good theme it's one Actually, of the better that,
0: that would be my favorite
2: it's yeah it's one of the better one of the better themes and i remember in this catalog one of the things you could order was a beretta replica gun so it couldn't fire as a real gun but it 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 had blowback and the bullet would come out and you know all that just like a real gun and it was it was a, it wasn't officially tied into bond but bond actually used a beretta in the books before he switched over to the walther ppk and i was desperate to get this this gun, I forget how much it was, but I never ordered. it. Mean, yeah, it was fourteen, fifteen at the time. Anyway, so this movie's about to come out. I'm very excited, you know, because it's a Bond film. I get the Starlog magazine interview with Roger Moore saying this is probably my last one, yada yada. And I remember seeing it and just being so disappointed that it was so silly and so ridiculous. View, and view to a kill. View to a kill. I mean, there's yes. one bit at the beginning where there are, there's a snowmobile chase, and at one point I think he ends up getting a bit of it and turning it into a snowboard. And as he's sort of surfing down the snow in slow motion, they start playing Beach Boys, California. Oh, yeah. Which, you know, isn't even as bad as it isn't even the worst that it that it got. The the movie before Octopussy, he is in the jungle at one point being chased and he swings through the jungle with the oh, yeah. Full-on Tarzan yell, and ironically, the same year, the same year, we got Chewbacca doing the same gag in Return of the Jedi, which is just wrong on so many levels, both of those things. So I'm disappointed, you know, but I know he's done. And then I start reading about the next guy to take over the role. I think I kind of had heard these rumors about Pierce Brosnan. Oh, yeah. Those, those was, were
0: pretty public at the time.
2: And I was pretty okay with it, yeah. because I used to watch Remington Steele, but I also kind of thought, he's kind of a namby-pamby. Like, you know, he's, <laughs> I, you know I, I don't want another Roger Moore. So when I finally got word that Timothy Dalton was going to be the guy, I knew very well who Timothy Dalton was, because of Flash Gordon. Yeah, Because he was Prince Baron in Flash Gordon. And I was very excited that he was going to be the guy. And I will never forget... The movie comes out. It's the 25th anniversary. The Living Daylights. The first Timothy Dalton comes out. It's might have been on my birthday. Now that I think of it, it might have actually come out on my birthday. It's kind of. And I see him. it. I see it opening night, and I will never forget coming out of that movie because I went, ah, "Wow, James Bond is back. This yeah. is this is what it's supposed to be." And I truly believe Timothy Dalton was way ahead of his time. If you look at the Daniel Craig stuff, he pulls a lot of pages out of Dalton's book and the way he did. Dalton's approach was, let's go right back to the books. He reread every Fleming book and took it very, very seriously. And if you haven't seen Living Daylights, it's this this opening where these three or four O agents land on the rock of Gibraltar for this drill, this... Um, you know, practice drill with like, you know, paint paintball sort of thing for these agents. You don't know which one is Bond. I'll leave it at that. When you when the camera finally pushes in to Dalton for the first time, you just get this sense of like, that's the guy. That is James Bond. He took it very seriously. I mean, the script Originally, it was kind of thought with Roger Moore in mind. If he was going to do it, they had to make a lot of alterations. They cut out a lot of the humor because Dalton was very frank about, "That's not going to be my bag, guys. Let's do this. Let's make it serious. And in my mind, easily the best Bond film since the 60s, The Living Daylights. Um, his follow-up two years later, License to Kill, very, very dark. The darkest the film's ever it's got It's a
0: departure film, really.
2: Huge departure, and really the only times, because the series, for the most part, the series played it very safe. Yes, you'd have the occasional, you know, bold move, and I, and I do mean bold, because Moonraker brought in more money than any Bond film by a mile, but it got a lot of Black. shit yeah. fun of because of what it, what it was, and they could have easily said, well, let's take it even further, we're going to make even more bread, but they said let's bring it back and make a more realistic Bond, which they did. Other than that, you know, the the two times that they really took a de- made a departure and tried something different and risky were on Her Majesty's Secret Service, and that's not just because of Lazenby. You know, Lazenby was was serviceable. He's not a he's not a disaster. You know, had had Connery done it, it, it people could be saying it's the best of, of the Bond films. Um, uh, the Majesties in 69 and License to Kill in 89 two of the best entries in the entire series but for the most part in in the US especially audiences stayed away and it's a shame because they they end up being two of the best films in the entire series but they 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 tried to do something different and that was very much Dalton's whole thing was I, I can't do what Roger Moore is doing and he realized you know, he's inheriting these, it's kind of a thankless role. He's going to be inheriting half the audience that wants him to be Connery, and the other half, actually larger than the, than half, is expecting Roger Moore. And it was hard for a lot of people to swallow, uh, even though, you know, Living Daylights did very, very well in the U.S. Uh, and also things were changing. By the time you got a license to kill, you had a summer full of you know, Lethal Weapons and Indiana Joneses and Batmans and all that, and he got lost in the shuffle. Uh, then, of course, there were loads of legal problems, and we didn't get our next Bond for six years when we got Brosnan uh, in, in the role. Yeah.
0: Um,
2: and now, of course, with Daniel Craig, I think it's as good as it's, as it's ever been uh, with, with his films.
0: Well, I can get my wife to watch a James Bond movie now. Which because I couldn't. She had a crush it, on Daniel Craig. No, I think she. Well, probably, but um, also the she likes the films. She finds them compelling.
2: Well, you know what I like about Craig as well. I mean, he's he's doing a a bang up job. I think he's he, he's wonderful, and I, I do think it's very much back to basics uh, Bond. But you know, look, I'm a completely heterosexual male. Uh huh. Um, I'm very secure in in such things. But I can I can look at a handsome chap in the film and say, that's a handsome chap right there, yes. Um, you know, you look at the guys that have played Bond. Sean Connery, George Lazenby, Roger Moore, Timothy Dalton, Pierce Brosnan, Daniel Craig. Guys like Connery and Dalton and Craig are not – I don't find them like traditionally handsome. They're more rugged. I mean, look, they're rugged. There's yeah. something about them. I mean Daniel Craig is kind of goofy looking at, at, by some angles. He's got big ears and he's kind of got a weird chin but there's something about them that looks good all cleaned up and yet you would not want to get you know stuck in a dark alley with these guys mm. uh, whereas Roger Moore and and you know Brosnan especially you know are a little too pretty for for the, for the role shall we say
0: uh, i i get that i mean Brosnan i thought pulled it off more than more but yeah. you know, I just wanted to talk because we were talking about more Bond casting. There's two actors that I really like that both got passed over or passed up on Bond, and yes. I would have really been interested to see him. One of them, of course, is the great Patrick McGowan, who oh uh, yeah, who would right have been a fantastic point. Bond. Well, you know what the problem there was? He hated the
2: subject matter. He he is was an absolute Puritan. Yeah, I mean he. He had problems with there are women uh you know female actresses that talk about their their episodes of the prisoner and how just a kissing scene, how difficult it was to get around a kissing scene because he just wouldn't do it, yeah, he never could have been bombed, but it would have been fascinating to see what he would have done
1: and, and who's and,
2: your other one? I got
0: an idea who your other one is uh, you may not know this guy uh, oh. and because he didn't really go on to big things, and sadly he's passed away. But, uh, you know, I'm a huge Jerry Anderson fan, and and the the series that I'm most fascinated with is a show called UFO. Yes. And the second in charge of UFO uh, was an actor by the name of Michael Billington. Oh. And if you Google Paul Foster UFO, Uh you'll see Billington around the time that they were considering him to replace Connery. And he's a ruggedly handsome guy. Uh, he's fantastic on the show, and I really would have liked to have seen him as Bond. You know, Interesting.
2: You know. My my pick is uh, Clive Owen. Clive Owen. Yeah, he was considered, wasn't he? Well, it was talked about. I'm not sure how far it got with meetings, but I would have loved – I mean, much as I love Craig. Uh, I look at Clive Owen, um, and I love him. Um, I've seen most of what he's done. Some things better than others. The best thing I think he's ever done is is uh, Children of Men. I'm not sure if you've ever seen. Yeah,
0: that's the that post apocalyptic film. film. I, I do like that. It is not a pick me up by any means. No, it, it's in fact it's one of those films that I like, but it's like The Road, where you can't yes. really you know. My wife recently on Netflix. She's like, oh, let's watch The Road again. I was like, I'd rather stick something in my eye. It's and, true. and I like the film. It,
2: i i know it's, it's tough it 's tough to watch children of men if, if, if anybody out there hasn 't seen it, I urge you to see this thing as quickly as possible um, it 's basically this story a semi sci fi post post whatever story where the population has just stopped no one no new pregnancies no one is being born anymore and that 's it. He is a shell of his former self, this character he plays in um, in children of men. But he is in every single scene of this movie and he carries the thing and he he has such a weight of the world on his shoulders and he's just he's just magnificent in and you just you just feel like you know he he's he's always thinking on his feet. Uh two quick things I want to say about Bond. Uh one I forgot to mention, uh I'll get back to it. One of the things that's most appealing about the character is that very thing. And when it got too reliant on gadgets, it started to lose some of that that appeal or that charm, he's a smart guy. He's a, he's a, he's a blunt instrument, the way Fleming described him.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: He's there to do a job, but if he doesn't have, you know, the laser watch that's going to cut through the glass or whatever, you know, there's a great bit. I'll give you the best example. One of the best things I can think of um, in a mediocre outing is live and let die. They bring him out to that little island where the alligators are about to come and eat him. He's got no means of escape, and so he runs across the top of the alligators, jumps on their heads, and gets over to the shore, so to speak. Yeah, and yeah. that's that's to me who who he is. He's always thinking. If he's,
0: he he's Batman, basically.
2: Kind of, yeah. yeah. I mean that 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 opening chase in Casino Royale is a great example of that. He's this guy that he's chasing that's doing all the parkour stuff. Mm-hmm. He's. Slimmer than Bond, he's faster than him, and he's doing all these fancy moves that, that Bond can't do. So every step of the way in that chase, if you rewatch it, Bond is taking a shortcut. If, yeah. the, guy is, if the guy is climbing the thing, Bond is punching through the plaster, you know, or whatever. He's, he's, he's constantly surveying whatever's around him and improvising and using his, his brain and his wits, and that's one of the coolest things about the character, I think. The other thing I forgot to mention about toys was item that was made for octopussy there were two items the corgi thing the other one genius item do you recall one of the bad guys the henchman had this weapon in octopussy that was a spin saw
0: yeah it's on a like it's it's like on a on a string and you you, you like shoot it off and it cuts people's heads off right
1: that's, that's right yeah
0: and and oddly somebody made a toy of that i remember that
2: And I forget the name of the company, but it's the weirdest thing because it's such an awkward – it was such an awkward toy. It was put on a a sort of a bubble card, and they were so delicate. If you tried to find one today, there are very few that exist that aren't like coming off of the card or broken in some way. And I had one, and it's called the Octopussy Spinsaw. It's so weird because like –
0: It's by Wembley. Webley, yes. Yeah, because I mean, when I, I wrote an article for Topless Robot, the top five best and the top five worst James Bond toys, really? and I surveyed a bunch of collectors, yourself and Will Frost in the UK and another oh, guy, yeah. and all three of you said, seek out this spin saw thing.
2: Yeah, that's right.
0: And and you know, the other the other awfulness that that uh, you guys talked about was the um exclusive premiere figures. Oh, uh, yay. And, and and the imperial toys. Like they're just such yeah. hacky toys. And I mean, like there's been some genius James Bond toys and you've 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 elaborated on a lot of them, but there's some real schlock sh- out there.
2: But it's funny because, you know, and I've said this a thousand times, uh I'm going to repeat something that I just said a couple episodes ago on Geek Shall Inherit Again because I, I was riffing on that those exclusive premiere, you know, we finally get something that that sort of semi resembles an action figure line, a true action figure line for James Bond, and that's what we got. <laughs> well, and you so, know
0: what? I think anyone who was a fan of something that exclusive premiere got could say that. You know, it's like true. if it's you were true. a Dukes of Hazard right. fan, or you know. Yeah, but
2: okay, absolutely. But Dukes of Hazard, we got, you know, well, Gilligan's Island. What, well, nobody, nobody wanted that. Nobody was clamoring for Gilligan's Island. You know, it's kind of cool that we finally got a, a Bogart and a Ingrid Bergman Casablanca. Weird, but well, it's well, nice. Well, if you're that that we a fan that.
0: of Gunsmoke or Wild Wild West, and there are a lot of fans of Wild Wild West, I there? actually have the uh, the James West. It's thing. too bad it isn't a nicer figure.
2: Oh, there's a there's a look at you. We brought it back around to there. there's a great example of how the spy genre, yeah, uh, influenced more stuff in television. There was something that um, that was a beautiful hybrid of the of a western and and the spy genre to, to and, make and a, and a
0: little bit of Batman serious. in there too. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. That was Wild, a that was Wild a, West is, is brilliant series. Is, 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 I didn't get that show as a kid, but and to segue this beautifully, something I forgot to mention one of my favorite spy TV shows of all time, oh. A Man Called Sloan, which, starred, right. which also starred Robert Conrad. And That's that was right. a Quinn... It was the last Quinn Martin production. A Quinn Martin production. Yeah. And it was a 1979 spy series. It was a bit of a take on the man from Uncle James Bond, but it was written by a first grader, I think. <laughs> uh, it, you know, like when I was... Eight and watching that, it was the smartest show I'd ever seen in my life. Sure. When I found it, and I had to seek this thing out. I mean, I had to pay a guy and, and get bootlegs. It's stupid. And I love it. I mean, don't get me wrong. But, I mean, the first episode is Roddy McDowell is taking over the world with androids. Um, the next one is Robert Culp has an army of female assassins. You know, they're very dopey. Yeah, anyone,
2: uh, anyone that was ever a guest star in any show from yes. in that thing. You know, I, lo- I love the. I, I remember even the title as a kid, just thinking the title was kind of ch- A Man Called Sloan. Yeah. To, you know, and, and, and Conrad was such a douchebag yeah. at that point because we knew him from the Battle of the Network Stars and the battery commercials and all that. And you thought, you're just such a tool. You know, I loved him. Because I love the Wild Wild West. Um, Let's let's wrap this up real quick. But two two quick things. One, before I die, I mean we, you know, this little dream I had of starting a toy company. You know the old the old joke, the old George Harrison joke about why did you finance Life of Brian when everybody walked away. The old joke was I just wanted to see The the movie. Yeah. I started this thing because I wanted to get these toys eventually that no one else was making because I wanted them for my shelf and we're you know so now we're to the point you know where where people are coming to us and I do start to kind of step back and look at our licenses and go well what's left you know like we've got Star Trek we've got Doctor Who uh-huh. you know something that I grew up with you know never dreaming in a billion years we'd be having these conversations and opening up new toys. I just you know, got some today that I'm like, oh my God, I've got a scaroth in my hand. Who? And that's a toy, by the way.
0: Yes. Um, anyway. You know, I'm glad you described it as a toy and not a one-eyed thing because people would still be confused. Um, <laughs> anyway, someday,
2: if it's not going to be us, and, I, and, I, and I, I, I don't know how we could because I can just imagine what, what a nightmare would be, please, someone out there, give us... An official James Bond toy line. We even had we the closest we got Hasbro. Uh, there was an animated series in the early '90s called James Bond Junior.
0: I've forgotten that a, that.
2: a whole line of action figures and vehicles, and they were terrible. And the show was awful.
0: Was it, wasn't an odd job dressed like Run DMC? Yes. <laughs> and there was a <laughs> doctor. There was a Doctor No and some other characters.
2: The one cool thing, though, the one cool thing that that, that toy line did do was a, a fake CD player. You could pull the plastic CD out and use it as like a Frisbee weapon, a spin saw kind of thing, and a cap gun, an actual pistol, popped out of the CD thing. Uh, and it was very similar to something that would have been done in the 60s. It was, it was shocking. So someone, please, I'm praying every night, somebody get the Bond license and give us a three and three quarter inch yeah. action figure range with vehicles and playsets and villains and girls, yeah. every incarnation of Bond, just the mind reels. At the possibilities. Okay, so here we're wrapping it up. Well, let's, let's, let's finish up with our favorites. Yes, and then let's go from there. And here we'll go back and forth. All right, I'll start with you. Okay.
0: Favorite favorite Bond theme. View uh, to a kill. All right. I, I, I was hope I thought you'd ride me for that, but no, I no, hell I no, no. That's dig, in my top five. Song. I'm not even the world's biggest Bond fan.
2: That's in my that's in my top five. Okay, you. Uh, mine has got to be. It's it's got to be Live and Let Die yeah, pretty, because of the, McCartney. The but gibbous. I'll tell you, right next to it, and maybe neck and neck, uh, is the theme, the instrumental theme on Her Majesty's Secret Service. No way. Yeah, it's it's a it is one of a genius four minutes of, of, of brilliance, uh from John Barry.
0: If if I had a second one it would be the Casino Royale uh, uh was that uh Chris Cornell. Chris Cornell, I think that's awesome. And I I do love the Adele I mean, I I would say Oh the Adele the Adele song, nothing against that. That's great. And
2: Thunderball, the the Tom Jones Thunderball is, <laughs> It's a genius. And You Only Live Twice is a beautiful piece of music. I could I could go on, but yeah. those are mine. Um Favorite
0: Bond. Favorite Bond? I have to go with Connery. Uh, yeah. first Bond. I like the I don't there's I don't turn a bond off. But sure. I just I, I think the the connection with Connery is also to the time when it was most most suitable. You know what I mean? Like the, the Cold War is over now, yeah, and 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 all that stuff. You know, we we know we have cell phones now, and and th- th- that was the real epitome of cool to me. And he could smoke and drink for God's sake. Well, then on sake. that note, what would would you can you pick a favorite picture? A p- p- picture, a favorite, favorite,
2: favorite Bond film.
0: Yeah, I'm. You know, I'm gonna go with Goldfinger because it's the first one I saw, but I I love Thunderball too. Very good. How about I'm gonna you? have to
2: say Connery, mm-hmm.
0: and I'm gonna say uh, from Russia with
2: love because I think it's exactly what you're saying. It's it's the it the 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 series was starting to hit its stride. You know, hitting all the ticking all the boxes. He looks perfect. He looks better than he did in any of the other films ever he's just the epitome of cool in that in that film mm-hmm. um and it's, it's got a very mod sort of sensibility to it um that's probably my favorite of the of the of the films um but my top five have got to be like from Russia with love living daylights spy who loved me um skyfall might even be in there i, I think it's so good it's and majesty's
0: Skyfall is really... I really like Skyfall. I would, I would put Majesties in there. Uh,
2: favorite, uh, favorite Bond
0: girl? Okay, you're going to... Uh, you just, you know me, right? You sure. know I'm a bit of a train wreck? I yeah. absolutely love Christmas Jones. Dr. <laughs> Christmas Jones. Because it's just like... Somebody actually said, let's get Denise Richards to play a nuclear scientist. And, and it happened. And it's just... I just, I think it's just the the Schadenfreude. I just, I just really enjoy how ridiculous it is. I know there's sexier. I know there's much better actresses. Well, um,
2: on that note, I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to go for Pussy Galore for about a dozen reasons. Yep. Yeah. Oh, you know, the, all, the, all the better abs- than mine. <laughs> the absurdity, the name, um, uh, the fact that you know Honor Blackman was in the Avengers. I'll tell you the runner-up though, same film would be uh jill masterson shirley eaton the the famous bond girl that got painted gold yeah uh was just, just ridiculously stunning mm-hmm.
1: uh
2: in that in that film um so so she might be right up there i also have a real soft spot for carrie lowell who uh you know licensed to kill okay, who ended okay. up for years being on um one of the, the Law and Order. She was one of the lawyers in Law and Order. Uh, and married to uh, to Richard Gere, happily. Oh. Um, and how about... Uh, what, should, what should we say? If Bond, would you have a favorite Bond toy? Could you pick a toy?
0: I would have to go with my childhood Austin Martin because it was my only childhood Bond toy. Um, I also have a soft spot for the Mego Jaws figure, even though I don't own one.
2: I'm going to have to say... Um, I'm going to have to say the Aston Martin, and I'm talking about the 73 Aston Martin with this. The,
0: the wheel cutters.
2: Wheel cutters and the license plates. Uh-huh. And I'm going to have to go with the multiple toy makers attache because it is just a piece of brilliance.
0: That That is a cool toy.
2: And it, 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 it epitomizes 60s spy craze, mm-hmm. a, a briefcase that has all kinds of weapons and stuff in it, basically. Um, and then uh, finally, should we say,
0: uh, do we have a favorite villain? Yeah, I would go with uh, with the Donald Pleasance Blofeld. Nice, uh, you know, classic. You know, I know it's the inspiration for Doctor Evil, but you know, I mean, as a kid, he's got a volcano fortress in yep. in the "You Only Live Twice." And it, just just on a side note, that's the only Bond film I own because I lucked out. You ever had that? You rent a movie, and then the vid- video store has gone out of business. By the time you got to return it. No! Yeah, that happened to me a lot, but it would always be something I didn't want to keep. That's and, funny. And it was, um, yeah, I, I didn't return it because the guy was gone. He had just cleared out in the middle of the night. And
2: Nice score. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm going to have to go with Jonathan Price. Uh Kidding!
0: I'm kidding. Okay. I'm kidding! Okay. Okay. That, uh, that's a, Bros- he was a Prosident villain, right? Yeah, from Tomorrow Never Die. Yeah, okay. I was going to say,
2: wow. Uh, favorite villain? I'm going to have to say probably Goldfinger. It's got to be Goldfinger couple of reasons real quick and we'll wrap this up uh... a guy called gert frobe who most people will also know from chitty chitty bang bang uh... played uh... goldfinger claimed you know that he spoke uh, fluent english wasn't gonna be a problem uh... showed up on set no one could understand a word the man said uh, he's german so his voice uh, actually this is a common fairly common practice especially in the in the sixties a lot of the villains they're, they're the actors because they tried to get this international cast and yeah. audience kind of going. Their voices were dubbed in. So uh, Adolfo Celli, who played uh, um, Largo in Thunderball, his was – so was Goldfinger. But, but, but one of the most famous lines in all of Bond is Bond's thinking with his wits, the laser beam going up his crotch. He's about to get split in half on that, on that table in Goldfinger. And he says, you're expecting to talk, Goldfinger. And Goldfinger says, "No, Mr. Bond, I expect you to die." One of the greatest exchanges in all the Bond films.
0: Yeah, and I've I've actually used that to comedic effect on Plaid Stallions. I use a lot of Bond analogies because a lot of the the, the fashion stuff look the, my, people look like Bond villains.
2: One of my favorites is in *You <laughs> Only Live Twice* when uh, he's drinking sake, and the and the guy says, "Oh, you like sake?" And he says, "Oh no, I like shaki." especially when it's served at the correct temperature, 98 degrees Fahrenheit like this is. <laughs> like he knows yeah. the temperature that Saki should be served at. <laughs> He's a genius.
1: Yeah. So
2: as you can see, everybody, we love Bond. We love mm-hmm. spy movies. We, we've uh, as usual, try to cover about 17 bases in one episode. And uh, apologies for that going a little long. But you know what? That's a lot of free entertainment. So That's eat it right.
0: up. That's a lot of spying for you.
2: That's right, and uh, anybody wants to get a Kickstarter going to buy us spy toys, we are open to that. Please send them all to Brian, and he can send them to me.
0: And I should probably watch some Bond films again. Uh, yeah, if you need a short list, I'll send mm-hmm. you one. Yeah. yeah. Wow.
2: Well, thanks, man. Thanks for calling. I'm hey. glad uh, we could do this.
0: And thanks to everybody for listening.
2: And I uh, hope you enjoyed it, and uh, you know, get out and watch some Bond if you haven't seen any.
0: And we'll talk to you real soon. All right. Thanks, everybody. See you later.